0: Welcome back to The Uncomfortable Truth. This is Alan Weiss. I am very pleased today to have as my guest, Lisa Bing. Lisa uh, has been in my coaching community for, I don't know, a decade it seems, or maybe longer. Uh, she um, uh, lives in Brooklyn and she thinks Brooklyn is the center of the universe. And as long as Peter Lugers and the River Cafe are there, I'm inclined not to argue with her about that. She's an expert in leadership and strategy. Uh, she happens to be a woman of color uh, and she and I have been in some discussions uh, in terms of temporary events that I have found very valuable. And so I thought that we would do this podcast together. So Lisa, welcome.
1: Thank you, Alan, it's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: So uh, one of the things I found when I read um, CAST by uh, Isabel Wilkerson is this concept of not really believing in race, which I found I was very much in agreement with, and I found that you are as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if you could just explain uh, from your point of view, you know, what that means, not believing in race.
1: Well, I don't know if it's so much not believing as much as it is. So, understanding race in this country um, and, and how it came to be. Uh, there is no biological basis for race. Um, and when you look at the history of this country, Black people were de- deemed Black and as a Black race um, by slave owners um, who needed to, I th- a couple of things, needed to assuage their own guilt about enslaving other people um, and for whatever reasons needed to identify um, Black people as less than human. So Black people were deemed three-fifths um, a person From and stripped of points. rights. Yeah, that's, that's right, right. that's yeah. right. It's built, so. You know, so when we look at America, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably jumping around a bit, but you know, we're, what's today, January 14th, um, and it is, you know, last week we had the, the riots on the, on the Capitol, and people are saying, well, this is not who we are um, as a country, and the reality is, <laughs> that is who we are as a country it's not all who we are but it's certainly a part of who we are it may not be who we want to be but our country was built on this concept of black people not being fully human and therefore not having rights
0: so it's fair to say that's not who we all are but it's who too many of us are i guess is what you're saying
1: well i think we need to define then who all i'm using air quotes um who all is when we talk about this country you know, and when the politicians say this is not who we are, my interpretation of that is that the the end of that sentence is that's not who we are as a country. I see. Um, so agreed, everybody is, even during slavery, all white people were not enslaving people. There were, you know, there were many who were who were helping people to become free and so forth. So, but as as America and what America is. Slavery, the dehumanizing of black people, which continues today in terms of dehumanizing black bodies and devaluing black bodies and so forth, is a part of who America is.
0: I I wanna pick up on your example there at the Capitol because I found very cogent the argument that if those were black people storming the building, the police response would have been very different.
1: Absolutely, I think you and I spoke that day, and and I and, and I shared that with you. And my thought was, not only would it be very different, but there would be a lot of dead black people. You know, the this notion that <clears throat> the the police were uh, granted they were ill prepared for whatever reasons those are, um, but this um, the notion that the police were overwhelmed by the mob. Um, It's my belief that if these were Black people, they would not have been overwhelmed because they would have started shooting.
0: Uh, Tell me about this. It's another example that's been raised, another parallel is the Black Lives Matter protests in the streets, some of which turned into riots. And by riots, I mean stores were looted, arson was committed and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what's happened there? Is that a question of uh, people whether black or white getting out of control because of emotions, or is it a question of people infiltrating these groups who have different ugly ends in mind? What, how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I think the latter is true. Um, and, and I think that you know many of the, much of the, the reporting has borne that out. Um, the The protest and, and also if, if we're going to parallel the two events, you know Black Lives Matter was about, Fighting for the rights and the valuing of Black bodies, um, as opposed to the whites that stormed the Capitol um, it, to take back what they believe was a stolen um, election, which is which is false. I well, mean, and they were supposed going. to be the
0: law and order crowd too. Right? And they're
1: the law and order crowd, right? And what what and and now it's a week or so later, and what we're also um, discovering is that there were officials from the police departments, um, around the country involved. So that just further, (laughs) further, um, supports the, the part, one of the, one of the platforms of black lives matter is the injustice in the police department. Um, so i'm not sure if i'm answering a question now i think i've lost track of the question well, that's okay
0: <laughs> I'll don't worry i'll bring you back so i uh, you know we i have people in my community who deal with hidden bias they're not talking about diversity not talking about inclusion they deal with hidden bias and this this hit me right at home once when i was in a restaurant with a woman i know just as well as you who happens to be of chinese descent uh and we were in a chinese restaurant and i asked her to place an order for me and she placed the order with the waiter in English. And I said, I could have done that. And she said, what makes you think I can speak Chinese? Exactly. I can't. Right? right? And so that was a real learning point for me, you know? I mean, that was it, cause I hit close to home. Uh, but what about the other end of that continuum, which we've tended to call systemic uh, racism or institutional racism, and everybody has different definitions of these things. What does it mean to you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um systemic racism, um, institutional racism, uh, embedded bias is a softer term. Um, It means that, so if we go back to to what I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, the principles on which this country, not just principles, but laws on which this country was built um, declaring that black people, and this was, and I should also say, I'm not a historian, I'm not a social justice, Um, organizer, um, so, but I have some basic understandings of things. And so understanding that this country was, was uh, that the founders of this country built into laws that black people were less than human and not deserving of rights, how that then perpetuates not just in white society. So, so that establishes whiteness as the baseline, right? Which is, um, and also what it does for black people is the psychology that we are less than is reinforced. And that's, you know, and there are trauma experts who can talk about this much better than, than, than I can, but for white people, as well as black people, this trauma then gets built into our physiology and is passed along generation to generation. Um, so as well as systems that are in place. The, the, the police system, for example, it's my understanding so the police policing was established to keep runaway slaves and to go catch people who were enslaved that were running away um, and to keep black people in line. So, That is a belief that is embedded in the police system and over generations as particularly when when practices and policies are not evaluated, why are they in place? Why do we do it this way? It becomes, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way we do things. Um, So that's just a system and a society's um, beliefs around black people are then layered on top of those systems that have a genesis in in racism. We can talk about the voting structure, um, the process of voting. You know, Blacks were not um, granted the right to vote until 1965 in in the South.
0: And there have been poll taxes and- Poll taxes, you
1: go, you follow the rules. So, here's, so, so taking the voting, you follow the rules, you have all your papers, you go. And then when you get to the booth, the guy says, oh, now the rules have changed. And, and you know, fast forward generations to organizations today, black people will tell you the same thing, right? I follow the rules and, and, and things change. So let me, so now let me get to
0: some tough questions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Wait a minute, let me get my drink.
0: (laughs) Get your drink. Uh, Lisa and I are recording this on a Zoom conversation because I think it's so much more important to look each other in the eye. uh, And it's uh, it's just so much better and higher quality. Uh, I was in a Zoom call the other day and uh, we were talking about an issue where somebody had an opinion uh, and, I mean, his opinion was a minority opinion, but it wasn't overtly uh, biased, in my in my view. It was just a different opinion. And a woman on the call said, "Well, that's racist." Uh, and it seems to me that anybody, white or black, who starts to say, "Well, that's racism," or "That racist," "That's racist," effectively shuts down the conversation mm-hmm. uh, because it creates this fear of being branded as something. Right. Uh, and I mean, would do you agree with that, or do you think that? That racism and racist words like that, highly emotionally laden words, uh, it's just like saying, you know, well, that's anti-Semitic, you know, in a manner, I guess. Right. That seems to me to frost a conversation.
1: So, just out of curiosity, were the people involved white? What was the? the, They were all white. They were all white. Okay. So, so I'm chuckling because.
0: I'm glad you can (laughs) chuckle.
1: (laughs) <laughs> well, because now, you know, many white people have been awakened to the realities.
0: Thank God you didn't say woke. Okay, awakened that Oh my lie.
1: god. No no, 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 no. All right. That, no, but, but 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 so 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 let me answer in this way. I'm going to take a step back. The murder of George Floyd, the the pandemic, um uh the the, the confluence of those two events I think really cause people, white people, to, to really pay attention to the racism that exists in this country in a way that you know um, they haven't before. So now you have, um, I don't know, at least two categories in, in my mind of of white, of white folks. Um, and there're and they're probably more. but there are some that are, are zealots around, um, you know, the, the anti-racism movement and so forth. And, and then there are others, in my opinion, who are aware and are, are are committed and, 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 uh, want to make change in a substantive way, in a more measured way. And I guess the third category are those that still deny that this is an issue, Mm -hmm. but I'm dealing with the first two. So to answer your question, you know, declaring people racist based on comments, first of all, um, shows me that people don't understand what racism is. So just for your, for your listeners, a couple of, um, definitions, you mentioned bias before we all have biases, you know, whether it's, um, for ice cream, for cake or pie, um, you know, the North to South, what have you. And when our biases then translate into actions or, or, or unchecked beliefs, they become prejudices. Right. I don't like, I don't like cake. I don't, you know, I don't like pie or what have you. And then when our prejudices, um, then transfer, not just from our individual actions, but now into actions that affect other groups where we have power, it becomes racism, racism implies power. Go ahead.
0: So Lisa, it just seems to me that uh, you said, uh, well, uh, your example with pie, you know, I don't like pie, pie, you do like pie. But it it also seems to me with the moral narcissism we're engaging that I don't like pie, you like pie, so you're inferior.
1: That's right, you like cake, so therefore you're inferior. That's exactly right, right. that's That's exactly right. And so when our prejudices, when we're in a position of power and our prejudices are then applied to policies, practices, um, whether it's in the government in our organizations and so forth, that becomes racism. So I'll give you an example.
0: Sure.
1: Um, organizationally, companies say, "Well, we don't, we can't find qualified," and I'm using air quotes for your audience, "qualified black people." Well, but your policy says that you only go to three Ivy League schools, <laughs> you know, and and then then the the next argument is. Well, the stars are hard to get.
0: Right, Well, everybody's you know, bidding on the stars.
1: Everybody's bidding on the stars. My clients
0: have told me the same thing.
1: Right, and so I've been working with um, a very powerful group here in New York, the New York Building Congress, um, which is a, a, a professional association of architects, engineers, design and construction companies, large and small, that literally build New York City and beyond. So the World Trade Center, they're doing the airports. I mean, these are powerful organizations across the board. And they have acknowledged that and committed to making some real changes. You walk into an event and literally it's a a thousand white men in the lobby of the the Hyatt Hotel. And I've been working with a committee to identify a concrete action plan. And they've been very intentional. They've been very forthcoming. They've had some challenging conversations and come up with an action plan that they really feel um, good about. And part of the conversation is uncovering these hidden by these embedded biases in the hiring practice. Uh, um in hiring just to to stay with that example studies have shown and some of the companies have piloted programs what they call um blind hiring and lo and behold when uh evidence of race nationality etc are stripped suddenly they're able to find black and brown people that are qualified (laughs) and can I I
0: give you an example too about this Uh, with a different kind of approach. Uh, I had a client, Fortune 25 client, a huge, huge client. And they found literally there were, I think six people of color in the country getting a PhD in this certain area they needed science. Uh, And they said, if we hired, if we got into the bidding war, which they could afford, we got into the bidding war, it would throw our entire compensation system off. And everybody who's in that position right now would be upset. And I told them, yeah, well, you have to make a heroic effort. Right. And that is outbid everybody else, get one or two of these people, and any of the white people who are here complaining about this, tell them this isn't the company's best interest. If you don't like it, you can leave because we can replace you. Right. Uh, And that's what they did to their credit. And it worked out very well. And and nobody did really complain. Right. So sometimes it takes efforts outside what you'd normally expect.
1: Well, I think, and in this case, it absolutely takes efforts outside for. You know, I mentioned the building trades, but you know, you can plug in any um, any industry, any profession, uh, whether it's retail, whether it's you know, let's just take the public relations profession. When when all of the social justice um, um, protests started, companies that had very expensive PR firms were at a loss because they don't have black representation and in leadership. And they're asking the employees of these companies to help guide them. Now that's ridiculous. And what that also, what people also don't realize is, or think about if I have cancer, it doesn't mean I know how to cure my cancer, (laughs) (laughs) right? So you're the expert, which is what I bring to the table in terms of from a strategy and from a process standpoint, and from my ability to help people actually change and grow in their behaviors.
0: Let me ask you um, a question I'm always curious about, and I'd love to get your read on this. Uh, I've seen a great many uh, Black comics use the N-word. Right. Now for, for for non-Blacks, the N-word is radioactive, right? Correct. But they use it with both Black and white audiences. Correct. What's the repercussion of this? I mean, if this is such, a horrible, horrible um, epithet. And I realize that, you know, there's a, a point of view that says, yeah, but if you use it among yourself, it, it's sort of self-effacing, it's okay. But if you've got a large white audience as well, doesn't that sort of uh, uh, seem to make it acceptable? I mean, tell me about, about the philosophy there.
1: Well, I can't speak to the comics, <laughs> you know, because they, I think they each have different perspectives on the issue, um, but the, the the question. So my take is, and I, I Dave Chappelle comes to mind as um yeah. as I'm talking to you, who I just think is a brilliant comic and um, and insightful in so many ways and so forth. And he uses the N word um, uh, with a with a bandit, <laughs> right? Um. And so my, my take, and this is pure my, purely my speculation, is that they're not going to be uh, confined by others' uh, expectations or defined by others' uh, discomforts or needs. And, um, and the fact of the matter is, is that the N-word is used in Black circles as a sign of endear, as a term of endearment, I'm trying to think of other words you know, that are. Richard
0: Pryor was famous for this too.
1: Yes, but Richard Pryor also, led, towards the end of his his life and career, decided he would never use it again. Yeah. For his own yeah. personal reasons, and that's why I say, you know, um, Chris Rock still uses.
0: Yeah, he does. And then those are three very funny people you just mentioned, right? Well, right. Just mentioned. And 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 funny because they're brilliant. But remember, I mean, not too long ago, Bill Maher used it as an attempt to be with the in crowd. Well, and he was castigated for it, right? right? As he should have been.
1: That's right, that's right. Well, you know, and so ta Coates explained this and I, I won't do it justice, but he was giving a talk and the, and the, 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 the video is, is on the web somewhere um, to a college audience, I believe. And a young white woman stood up and asked the question similar to you, why is it that I, as a, a white people can't use the word? And it's in songs and it's in this. And he explained it this way. He said that he has a very good friend, a white friend who talks about um, segments of his community as white trash. He said, now, fine for him to do it, but I, he, I'm i speaking now as, as, as quotes, it's not, it's not, my place, that's not okay for me to do it. And what he also, he went on to say to this young white woman, he said, part of the, the struggle that some white people have is, and this speaks to, and I know I know a lot of people don't like this term, um, the, the white um, uh, advantage. Um, privilege. Privilege, thank you, is that white people by and large are, as, a, as, a, as a whole are not used to being told no, are not being used to set, not being used to restrictions. Whereas black people, I mean, and we can go back, actually, I hate to say, in my lifetime, I was, I was, I was an infant, but there were times in the South and my mother was from North Carolina and grew up during Jim Crow. And she would tell me how she would sneak to taste the white water fountain to see if it tasted different. So black people have been have been restricted and very by law and are used to making, as they say, making a way out of no way. Did, so yeah.
0: Did you tell me once, Lisa, that you did not like the term African American.
1: I don't. I don't. And here's why. Um, my my belief is my understanding of the the genesis of the term was um, that it came up uh, ad hoc in a conversation with um, with some black leaders years ago. But the other thing is, I know white Africans, <laughs> right. um, yeah. so so for me that blows it right out the water. The other the other thing is, there are black people who are British who are French, um, and. Caribbean. And so it doesn't quite capture uh, the, the. I, I, I think it's, it's. I, I don't think it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, appropriate? appropriate or... Well, not that it's inappropriate. I just don't, Accurate. I think it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't think of right right now, but, okay. but I think black is more encompassing.
0: Okay. And people of color, is that a, a fair term?
1: Well, people of color. So here's the thing. So. You know, and this speaks to this concept. So this woman um, wrote the book, White Fragility, right? And she talks about how um, the, the difficulty and the discomfort that many white people have discussing race. And they were often raised that it's impolite to discuss race. And if you have biases, you know, that people who are racist are bad. And so I, even though I've grown up, and black people, all of us have grown up in a racist society, but I can't acknowledge that because then by default, I'm de- deeming myself bad. So she she talks about all of these things. Um, and what was the first question you asked me? Because I just- <laughs> <laughs>
0: I said to you, what, what do you think of the term people of color?
1: Oh, people of color, yes. So people of color, so, so m- all that to say, I think that there are terms that people are uncomfortable with and so we come up with these softer terms so people of color doesn't is, is fine but it's also uh more broad speaks more broadly than just the black people
0: okay yeah. now, it's
1: asian latino it's right right mm-hmm. uh, who
0: well who also had face discrimination here
1: yes but, wait, wait wait hold on hold on i, I don't i don't want to let that go by okay yes they have and the issue with Black people is that Black America is the home country of American Blacks, whereas, and so your home country has deemed you less than, as opposed to going to another land and being themed. Well,
0: I, I think you'd agree though, that for let's just take Latinos, a lot of them, this is their home country. Yeah. Generations yeah. later, right?
1: Well, well, generations later, but they can always trace that. Well, I can't trace back to, I trace back to North Carolina and Brooklyn. <laughs> well,
0: I've, heard, I've heard a lot of Latinas say, hey, listen, I'm an American. And, right. You know, my great, my great grandfather might come from Ecuador, but I'm an American, you know, and that's how I see myself.
1: Oh, no, I'm not, not arguing that point at all. Okay. But, but laws have not been established to deem. you know, people with their Ecuadorian roots as less than human and not deserving of human rights.
0: Right, but there have been instances where signs have been placed in public places, Irish need not apply, Italians not welcome here. I mean, there have been uh, prejudices in America against a variety of different groups.
1: Absolutely. Okay,
0: I have one more question for you. Uh, You've been in the... uh, fascinating position of sometimes having all white audiences in front of you Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'd like to know as you as you've dealt with uh, your clients on the subjects we've been talking about uh what have been your greatest learnings what what have you learned from this what has surprised you uh Mm -hmm. you know what you what what kind of feeling would you generally give us from being in the very unique position you're in Mm -hmm.
1: that's that's a great question and so you may not know this, but this was not my first rodeo. So 25 years ago, um, while I was still at Prudential, I was put in charge of a diversity project. Um, 25 so years ago.
0: 25 years ago. Yeah we, yeah, we were both at Prudential, you
1: know. Oh, I do know that. <laughs> okay, I do, I do. Go ahead. We're almost the same, Alex.
0: And and neither one of us became president of Prudential.
1: <laughs> That's right. And we both got fired. Yeah. Um, but 25 years ago, Prudential, uh, in the early 90s, maybe it's a little bit more than that, uh, was actually on the on the forefront of the whole diversity movement. And I was put in I was in the reinsurance company in, in an international department. So we had offices around the country and so around the world. And, um, and so I came to this work at that, all all those years ago. Um, and my position then was that the issues we were facing were not diversity issues, but they were management problems. And I reframed the, the, the issue, um, Well, I did a series of focus groups in my department. And what I found, there were five groups, all homogeneous by race and by gender. So the black women were together, the white women, the the black men, and so forth. The symptoms were all different, but underneath it all, the the cause, the root causes were the same. There was a lack of coaching and feedback consistent among all five groups. And I created my first workshop series, a six-part workshop series called the Business of Personal Development, the coaching series. There was a management prelude for the managers to to prepare for their staffs to go through this program and then a management postscript for them to continue. Um, And so you asked me what I've learned. My boss at the time, who actually was the best boss I ever had, um, had every ism (laughs) going. (laughs) and just to give you a very quick example so i mentioned that we had offices around the world hong kong london brussels and the states and the heads of these offices would come to the us they'd have meetings they would go out to dinner and this particular time dewey says to me oh you know we need a place to go to dinner this is the mid 90s new york the upper west side well 72nd street in amsterdam and manhattan was still considered a bit dicey there was a new hot restaurant the shark bar which was a high-end soul food restaurant. I said, why don't you guys live a little, go to the shark bar. Immediately he says, oh, that's a great idea. The next day <laughs> he sends an email to everyone, including me and says, I've now invited Lisa to come to the dinner so she can interpret the menu much <laughs> like Claude does for us in breastlets. <laughs> oh, and oh, by the way, if you'd like to bring your wives feel free, although mine can't come. So I see this email and I'm like a bull with a red flag in front of the face, And I go flying into his office. And I said, this email, he says, was it bad? I said, it was terrible. Let me tell you why. First of all, the menus in English. And second of all, what is this thing with the wives? And he said to me, I really, he says, sometimes when my wife is the only woman, she feels uncomfortable. So I thought, this might make you feel more comfortable. And I said to him, but the difference is I'm your colleague. I'm not a wife. So one of the things that I learned 25, 30 years ago was the power of relationship and the ability to be able to have conversations like that without making the other person bad and wrong. And I learned a lot from him too, as well in terms of things that I needed to temper and so forth. And so fast forward to today with that mindset and with that experience my belief is i'm going to believe you when you tell me you want to make substantive change and i'm going to do everything that i can to help you get there and if you start to digress and if these biases start to come up i'm going to acknowledge them and i did that with my current group this issue around stars came up and i had a conversation There are 20 people on the Zoom call. And I raised this whole issue about the stars. And the fact that everyone in your, all the white folks in your company are not stars. (laughs) There's there's a a woman I I wish I could think of her name to attribute it properly, but I think she's 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 written a book about it or made a statement. She said, I just want the confidence of a mediocre white guy. (laughs) <laughs> as a Black woman. <laughs> so let's not talk stars, right? Let's just talk about the ways in which you've created, the barriers that exist that have gone unchallenged, unexamined, that are hindering the very things that you say you want to accomplish. And that's how I approached this group. And they and they and it was, for the most part, well-received. And those who... We're not happy with it, I suppose. Didn't continue, I don't know. But at the end of the day, we came up with they, I, I helped them create an action plan that they all committed to and feel good about.
0: Well, uh, and of course, you and I talked about some of that as, as we worked together in the
1: process. Yeah
0: yeah and I, I, I think they're lucky to have you and Thank I think you. anybody's lucky to have you. I uh, tell people where they can reach you.
1: So you can reach me at um, L Bing at Bing Consulting. Dot biz, B I Z like zebra, L at Bing Consulting dot biz, or call me at the old fashioned way. <laughs> it's 718 398 8516.
0: Thank you for taking time out of your day to do this with me. Uh, we've had so many of these wonderful private conversations. I uh, thought it was time to share some of it with the public, and I thank you for being here.
1: I thank you for the opportunity. It was great fun to talk with you. Yeah, as always. You. All right. Ciao. Bye-bye.